another episode of a thousand and one by one where each week we take a film out of the book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book my name is adam st john and my name is ian woodington and thus begins the two-week a thousand and one by one experiment of how having our spouses on the show this week we're starting over here in the St. John household. My wife and co-host of Below Freezing, another film podcast that I am a part of, Melissa St. John. Melissa, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Well, I'm good, but you know that. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, no, everything's everything's great here, and uh, we're very happy to have you. Uh, looking for redemption, I'm, I'm going to be assuming, after uh, West Side Story. You know, it's I was going to re-listen to the West Side Story um, podcast you guys did, but then I thought that would, you know, riled me up a little too much. <laughs> You're going to come so to I the table it. guns blazing. Yeah. It could have gotten really hot right out of the yeah. gate. Probably probably a good idea that, that you didn't do that. Yeah. Um, so before we get to today's episode, which is, of course, the, the, the wonderful Gene Kelly musical Singing in the Rain, we're going to bring you some recommendations, as we always do. Melissa, as our guest, would you please give us your recommendation first? Yes. So my recommendation this week is... This week. My, just this my week. That's right. That's fine. There we go. Um, is The Music Man. Ian, have you seen it? I have not seen The Music Man. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Well, hey, you know what? A, good, because I, now you can't shit on it. I hadn't <laughs> until she made me, so... Um. So let's see. The Music Man. I'm not good with, like giving a description, so I'm going to try my best. So you have um, Professor Harold Hill, who's a traveling salesman. Adam said traveling con artist, basically, um, <laughs> who comes to a town in Iowa and is selling instruments like to the children and uniforms, and basically he's gonna his plan is to like up and leave once he gets the money. And he falls in love... Um, with Marion, the librarian, who kind of has a stick up her bum through the first part of the movie. <laughs> and um, I don't know. He just kind of gets all 
head over heels with her. And I think like his whole plan of skipping town, you know, kind of goes down the drain. And I don't know. Am I missing anything? No, that's like, that's pretty much. There's a lot of music. I mean, well, yeah, there's a ton of music. It's it's two and a half hours. It is a it is a long musical. And you have Ronnie Howard in it. Is what oh he goes God, by. Ron right. Howard goes by Ronnie Howard. And movie. if if you weren't going to bring that up, I was going to say that is literally the only thing I know about the Music Man is that Ron <laughs> oh. Howard is in it. Now, do you know that he has a, a lisp in the entire movie because he does? Oh, it's like a manufactured one, or did yeah, R- it's, little it's Ronnie one Howard? For the character. Yes, it's oh, one. Okay. It's one for the character. Oh, it's it's, it's perfect. it is ridiculous. Yes. I'm sure it's aged so well. <laughs> you know, I this is this is one of those musicals I feel ashamed that I haven't seen uh just because it is such a prolific it's so prolific in the world of theater. Um and uh I I I know I said this a bunch to Melissa while we were watching the movie, but I think the the my my biggest gripe with it is I just I don't buy the love story. I don't understand how Shirley Jones, who plays Marion, loves this guy. I just, I can't buy it. I still don't buy it. I realize I have to buy it because it's the story they're giving me. Um, but it's it's a fun, It's I see how he can convince the town so easily. And he's he's uh, he's definitely a good con man. He's he's the, he gets people all all enraptured in his story. Did, did you ever watch the episode of The Simpsons where there's the guy coming to, <laughs> comes to town who tries to sell them the monorail? Do you remember that one? Mon- oh yeah, that's uh, that's famous because it's written by Conan O'Brien. Yeah, well, that Conan O'Brien ripped that off from the Music Man. So that's that idea of of the guy coming in trying to sell somebody a really good idea when it's just a just a crock of shit. That's 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 where that comes from. Um, but yeah, no, I I enjoyed it, and I'm I am glad that she made me watch it. I love it. I just grew i I grew up watching those kind of musicals with my dad, so. There's so much like nostalgia with it, just like West Side Story. I just love it because of watching it all the time with my dad and the memories. Um, There were a few parts in the movie, though, where Adam was like, ooh, that didn't age well. And I was like, oh, I (laughs) forgot about those moments. And then I really easily just like kind of steamed rolled past them. I didn't let Adam the, really talk, there's, talk there's, about them. There's a moment where this small Iowa town is trying to do like, it's like a 4th of July celebration <laughs> and a bunch of white people are pretending to be Native Americans. It it has not aged well. Um, you do kind of have to just turn a blind eye because it could totally derail you from the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, you know, you well, talk even- it to 1962. Even singing in the rain that we'll get to uh, here in a yeah. minute is uh, even that is has a blink and you miss it moment yeah. like that. <laughs> we didn't blink. We didn't miss it. Just just so you know. Um. So 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 I don't want to. I don't mean to cut you off. The Music Man. Good. We good. Yeah. We yeah, the, yeah. 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 Great. The recommend from Melissa. Um. My recommend is also a musical. Um. Very much more a contemporary one. And uh, my recommendation this week is Chicago. Um, now I don't love this movie like just on its, on its own necessarily. Uh, for those of you who, who haven't seen it, Chicago follows, uh, Roxy who is played by Renee Zellweger and she wants to be like a, like kind of like a cabaret singer, a star, um, much like the character of Velma Kelly played by, um, Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, uh, Roxy Hart is in a, a, uh, tumultuous, uh, affair with Dominic West, who's in the movie for all of five minutes, and then she kills him. Um, and then 
she's able to get the lawyer Billy Flynn, who's played by Richard Gere, uh, to help her case. And also her husband is played by John C. Riley, who easily is the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Um, but the reason I recommend this even, even uh, more uh, now is I don't think I've watched this movie in probably five or six years. And uh, in that time, uh, while Melissa and I were living in Indiana and I was going to grad school, uh, Chicago was one of the productions that was done while we were there. And, um, and and Melissa had actually seen this before professionally when it came to the Paramount, but I didn't know how the play or the, the stage musical differed from the movie. And the cool thing that the the film does obviously is it has all this cross cutting between like the actual plot of the movie moving forward with Roxy killing the guy and then her trial and everything and the whole stage world where all of a sudden now they're doing all these big dance numbers, which is really cool and. When I when I saw the musical and I didn't realize that's how it was normally done, I thought, oh, oh, wow, this is such a better movie than it is a musical, um, it, which is my opinion. But I really liked the the editing style and the way in which they chose to make this movie. Now, uh, I was telling most of this bef- off mic before we were recording. Rob Marshall blew his wa- his wad on this one because when he made Nine and did it in the exact same way, I was like, "Oh, you have nothing new to show me." So cool, great, awesome. Um, but Chicago, uh, it still holds up. I think there are really good performances in the movie. Do I think it should have won Best Picture in two thousand and two? I do not. But overall, I think it is an enjoyable watch. Melissa is giving me some epic side eye right now. I just I don't know if you can see that, but. <laughs> I, I think it's well deserved for best picture. So what opinion. was what was up for picture that year? So it was uh, Chicago, The Hours, The Pianist, Gangs of New York, and uh, Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. I'm really torn between Gangs of New York and The Pianist. I know I I I'd, I'd probably lean The Pianist just because I think ultimately the message is more. Have you even seen it? No. <laughs> 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 I could still roll my eyes. I know it's hard to have a spat about movies here when she hasn't seen the other one I'm re- referencing. It's like I like it's like having a fight with a brick wall. Like I can't. Oh. I'm whatever. getting nothing back. I'm not calling you a whatever. Oh and, man, it's and, starting and already. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, though, I do. I do. Even though I don't think it should have won Best Picture, I do wholeheartedly recommend Chicago to anybody who hasn't seen it. Ian, this brings us to you. What is your recommend this week? Nine. Well, no, <laughs> that that would be funny though. I that would be. I was really bored. Like I don't know, twenty minutes into nine, and it just it couldn't grab me. It couldn't get me back, which is a shame considering all the talent in that thing. And um, I think we did the same thing though. It was kind of it did the same thing to us too. Did we, we even finish it? We did, but oh. it was it was a slog. Yeah. It was a slog. Yeah, I remember it being very, very long. And probably not because it is long, but because of how long it takes to get to the fucking end of that thing. <laughs> so I have I have the newest musical out of the three of us, which is uh, not surprising, seeing as though my, uh, my knowledge of musicals is not very vast. Uh, but I have 2007's uh, Across the Universe from Julie Taymor. I don't know if either of you have seen this. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I so I unfortunately and I talk about double features quite a bit and really unfortunate ones that I've done but I double featured this originally with Sweeney Todd and I did this one first which is a real fucking bummer because there is a clear winner between those two I think I think there's a great conversation to be had about Tim Burton Sweeney Todd this is not the place nor the time to do it but but continue good sir yeah um 
So it's uh, if you're if you're not familiar with it, it's about the, uh, the well, not the Beatles, but it is about a time and a place in which the Beatles were very much a part of, and uh, their music is used to to thread a, a really interesting narrative that uh, charts the sort of summer of love and and the rioting and uh, the revolution that that we tried to bring about in this country in the 60s and uh there's a, a guy from liverpool his name is jude uh he decides that he's going to go to america to try and find his dad who was a gi who just slept with his mom during the war and then ran off uh when he gets there he meets max i.e maxwell you'll start to notice a trend with the names are all taken from beatles songs but he ends up no. meeting max and then meeting his little sister lucy falling in love with her and then Basically, the, the rest of the film sort of builds around that with a great supporting cast. Um, I love the, the dynamic between the two that are essentially playing Janis Joplin and, and Jimi Hendrix. That's absolutely great. I think uh, the actor's name is Martin Luther, and then uh, it was Dana Fuchs as Sadie. Um, but I, I thought this was a really brave sort of choice to take music that is so well-known and so loved and to try and thread a narrative through it because you have legions of Beatles fans that are are so attached and dedicated to this music. I mean, I feel like it's a it's a losing battle to take something that is that much of a cultural phenomenon and then try and do something else creative with it. But yeah, I, I think it worked. I think it's a, an experiment that really worked well. Well, and I'm glad you kind of brought that up because I, I wouldn't say that I'm a Beatles fan. Sure. I mean, it's hard to not know the Beatles music. It's prolific. I mean, it's, it's everywhere, but I think, and I, I'm not going to speak for you, Melissa, but I know part of the reason why I did like it was because I didn't have that pre-existing relationship with the songs. Mm -hmm. And so I could watch the movie for what it was and the story it was trying to tell weaving in the Beatles songs as we went through, I wasn't hearing Hey Jude or um, it won't be long having a, a you know, an attachment to those songs. It was just great to see them for, for what they were. So, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely something in it for Beatles and non Beatles fans alike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It's been a hot minute since I've seen that movie though. Yeah. I, we, I saw it once. I've seen it. I, once. I've only seen it once too. Yeah. And I remember loving it. Like I still listen to the soundtrack, you know? Yeah. That's that. actually, that's funny. I do. I don't, I don't think I own any of the Beatles music, but we do have the across <laughs> the universe. Soundtrack. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some great cameos in it too. Bono, Eddie Izzard, and uh, Joe Cocker has a particularly good one doing "Come Together," which I think is mm -hmm. one of the best sequences in the movie. Yes, I was gonna. I, I do like that he's the one doing the cover for that. That's great. And and actually, that's a that um, across the universe is a perfect segue into singing in the rain because while across the universe was a was a musical comprised of pre-existing music, so was singing in the rain. So. Uh, I think we should just get into talking about it. Ian, what do you think? Yeah, let's go for it cuz if you don't uh, if you don't restrain me, I'll just sit here and talk about across the universe all night. Okay, so let's let's okay. Well, we didn't watch and it, you, so we'd be on a totally different page than you. So Exactly. Here, yeah, and here you don't go. want me singing Beatles tunes either. <laughs> uh so Singing in the Rain. This was co-directed uh by Stanley Donen and Gene Kelly, uh written by the team of Betty Comden and Adolf Green. Here is our cast. We got Gene Kelly playing Don Lockwood. We have Debbie Reynolds playing Kathy Selden, Donald O'Connor as Cosmo, Gene Hagen as Lena Lamont, 
we have Millard Mitchell who plays R.F. Simpson. He's the head of the studio. Um, and then other the other people who are sort of no- notably known for being in this movie, we have uh, Sid Charisse, who I think is just known as the long-legged woman in all of the uh, the crazy modern-day dance stuff. Um, we have Douglas Fowley, who plays Rox- Roscoe Dexter. He's the director of Don and Lena's films. And then a very young Rita Moreno, who plays uh, Zelda, um, who is uh, who is Lena's friend, who who was originally supposed to have a solo in this musical before it got cut and the whole movie kind of got shifted. Now, would this be a good moment for you to maybe say a few a, a few uh, loving words about Rita Moreno and just make Ian feel like shit just for like twenty seconds? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> just talk about how good she is in West Side Story. She phenomenal. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and. <laughs> I like want to have just a podcast where I can just like stick it to you, Ian, because (laughs) I don't think or you need to come over here and watch West Side Story with me and you would probably have a brand new love for it. That's that's an idea. I don't know. I just again, it's like something that I grew up on and it's, you know. I don't know. Well, if Definitely Adam had, if if Adam had not sidelined me and not told me what it meant to you, and now I even have the nostalgia factor of this is something that I, you said you watched them with your dad, yeah. So now you have that sort of like connection to. Well, now I feel like an even bigger arsehole. He just he set me up. I'll never forgive him for it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Um, so the uh, the only other film in the book um, from Stanley Don and Gene Kelly is On the Town from 1949. In terms of accolades, it did get a couple of Academy Award nominations. Um, one for Gene Hagen for uh, Best Supporting Actress, which I think is great. She lost to Gloria Graham for The Bad and the Beautiful. I do not know that film. Uh, and then... It also lost best scoring of a film to uh, something I'm even less familiar with, with a song in the heart. I don't know this one at all. Oh, it's not streaming anywhere. I did go looking for it. That's fair. Yeah. Um, At the Golden Globes, it was nominated for best picture. It lost. However, uh, somebody won best actor, and that person was not Gene Kelly. That was, in fact, Donald (laughs) O'Connor, which is amazing because... I, I think there's a there's a consensus in the St. John household that Donald O'Connor is the unsung hero of this film. Oh, thank you, fuck. He's my unsung hero, too. Yes. There he's, we go. He's the best thing in the movie. There is a consensus yes. there. Um, uh, other things that I saw, it, it got nominated for a BAFTA for Best Film from Any Source. It picked up DGA and WGA nominations. It was... Um, it was in the National Board of Review's uh, top 10 films of the year. Hey, Ian, do you know what movie won the National Board of Review's best film that year? I don't. I would love to hear. And oh, hang on, the... wait. Hang on. I bet it's The Fucking Quiet Man. It was The Fucking Quiet Man. <laughs> God damn, I hate that movie so fucking much. I, I do too. I do too. That was one. That was a movie I spared Melissa from seeing, and I'm so glad because my fury for that movie is just, it's... It's boundless. It's, it knows yeah. no end. I haven't end. even seen it, but just hearing you guys talk about it, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the original AFI Top 100 Films of All Time, it was number 10. When they redid the list in 2007, it jumped up to number five, the fifth best American film ever made. And hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? Uh, yes, it was. The first year, 1989. Look at that. Wait. Look at that. We have to go back to your handshake your iffy um <laughs> what what was uh, that? that was no no nothing no, don't worry about it 
I be- I believe what he was doing was saying I don't know if I don't know if it should be, should be top five. High. Yeah. Ah, okay. I think um, it was I've just got, fine got, where it was. My eyes on you <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, Ian, can I can I assume that we have the same review? We do indeed have Mr. Bosley Crowther. Do you mind? Can I can I do a reading of the opening paragraph? Yes, please. I don't know what Bosley Crowther sounded like, but I just want to give this sort of an upbeat, like, okay, here we go. Spring came with a fresh and cheerful splatter to the music hall yesterday with the arrival of Metro's new musical Singing of the Rain, along with the glory of Easter pageant and vernal review on the stage, compounded generously of music, dance, color, spectacle, and a riotous abundance of Gene Kelly, Gene Hagen, and Donald O'Connor on the screen. All elements in this rainbow program are carefully contrived and guaranteed to lift the dollars of winter and put you in a buttercup mood. Ain't that something? (laughs) <laughs> that that Bosley Crowther man, I I like him. His reviews aren't reviews, but I don't care. I I do like how he words what he says. <laughs> I always I know he's I know he's an American chap, but I always uh, when I'm reading him now, I hear Laszlo from the TV series What We Do in the Shadows, played by Matt Berry. I don't know if you guys have watched that yet. We we that is not a show that we've delved into. It's actually a damn near perfect show and he's the way matt barry speaks it's all very and never darken my doorway again sort of (laughs) accent that's my sort of best approximation of it i love it i love it um ian do we have the same imdb top 250 number 105 that is what i have as well um Uh, between it's between snatch and the 1983 version of scarface which is some odd company I, that IMDb list is is so. <laughs> you can say it. It's a fucking shit show, mate. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and the the last little piece of uh, of um, accolade stuff I have here is that this has a critical perfect hundred percent score on Rotten Tomatoes with the audience just lagging behind at ninety five. Ian again with the shaky hand. I think we're gonna. My God, I'm having to hold Melissa back, Melissa. <laughs> We got to get through the rest of the podcast. Um, so, Singing in the Rain. Um, let's just talk a little bit about what the movie is about. We have Gene Kelly plays Don Lockwood, and um, Gene Hagen is Lena Lamont. They are silent film stars of the day. They are definitely like the top build, A-list, awesome people uh, who are in films. Um, this is right on the advent of the talkie and um, the introduction of real-life film, the jazz singer. Thus, there's a big shift to talking pictures. But, hey, guess what? Um, our our stars of the uh, of uh, silent films don't quite know how to talk uh, in a movie, which of course kind of is, is a joke from earlier when we meet Kathy, who says she wants to be a stage actress, and that talking is sort of a big part of acting. Which I have some thoughts on that as well when we get to it. Um, but Kathy Selden um, uh, is there to sort of uh, throw uh, sort of a wrench in the gears because uh, Don Lockwood starts to fall for her, and when they start to do the first talkie, which is the uh, the dueling cavalier. We realize that our actors can't talk, but with the help of Kathy and Cosmo, played by Don Lockwood, they realize they can turn it into a musical, which at least plays to Don's strengths. Um, and when we find out that Lena can't talk <laughs> at all, they're going to use Kathy's voice to cover her in the film. And I should say that throughout all of that, shenanigans ensue. Um, <laughs> Which is which is great, and they're they're fun shenanigans. I think that's a pretty good. That's my five cent synopsis of Singing in the Rain. Are we good? We good with that? Yeah. 
I'm good with that. But say Dance shenanigans one more time. Shenanigans. Um, was that a Super Troopers reference? Uh, it was. Sorry, couldn't help right. myself. You no, just softballed that one in there, man. Um, so I don't, I don't know where to start with this. Ian, how, what, what viewing of Singing in the Rain was this for you? This was my very first. Oh, really? <gasps> oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, and, and honestly, we we watched this together for the first time. I'd say maybe about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and it's it's so funny with movies like like this where. It's been so long since they've been out, and there is so much acclaim for them that usually it's going to go one way or the other. It's going to be like, nah, that that totally missed my expectations. Or it's going to be, oh, okay, I get it. I get why people like this. And and again, I don't want to speak for my, my wife here, but I, I think over here, this was like, oh, okay, I get I get why people like this movie. Yeah. Um, we were smitten with it. After. Yes, yes. I, th- I had the same kind of uh, immediate attraction to this movie as I did to um, uh, A Matter of Life and Death, where immediately I was like, oh, this is just a charming damn film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So so that's great, though. So you – this is your first watch, and we've been getting some, we've been getting some iffy hands from you across our, our little Skype call. So um, I want to get your first thoughts. I want to get your initial thoughts to Singing in the Rain. Well, I'm, I'm going to land somewhere – in the middle of those expectations because I will say that I, yeah, I get it. I really do. I, I can, I can see how it's really easy to get swept up on a wave of now nostalgia. And then the sort of magic that was created in sequences like singing in the rain. And then the other one, uh, where they're in the, the empty studio and where he's kind of wooing her and showing her all the, the sort of behind-the-scenes magic that goes into making a movie. So I, I do, I get it. Yeah, but the, at the uh, same all, time... All I do is dream of you. Thank you. Uh, a sweet song. The, on the other hand, though, is when, when people talk about this movie being extraordinary and sort of game-changing and uh, original, I kept seeing the word original, and that really irritated me. Just, it just really rubbed me the wrong way because there's, even in the book, they go so far as to say that it doesn't really pioneer. It's, it's, it's not a pioneering film in any sense of the word. I mean, all these musical numbers, there, pretty much existing except for two, which one of them was a, uh, a sort of well-known um, tongue twister at the time. And then the other one, the Make Them Laugh. I, if you listen to Make Them Laugh and Be a Clown side by side, it, it's clear that they stole Be a Clown, the, the Cole Porter song. Um, so I, the, the word original is really what bugged me because it's, it's not really a trendsetter. It is, as the book goes on to say, it is just the best of its kind. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't say I disagree with that. I do think, cause, cause I, I watched the little 30 minute documentary that was, that came with and you the know, one that was hosted about- by Debbie Reynolds and yeah, her, yeah. her fabulous self. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know we had a good we had a good Debbie Reynolds Carrie Fisher conversation right before we we started recording. Um, but it it really is the best of its kind. And when you when you look at the other things that were associated with with MGM and Arthur Freed at the time, I mean, yes, like an, an American in Paris, which won Best Picture the year before this, uh, which I haven't seen, but I know again a lot of people adore and have fond memories of. But I I but it, I I had this thought too as I was watching Singing in the Rain is. Huh, American in Paris won a bunch of Oscars, but Singing in the Rain is really the one that has stood the test of time. I mean, 
again, like, I mean, to say that you are the fifth best American film ever made, and I get this was also in this was 2007, but still, like, that's that's pretty huge. I mean, you're up there with with Citizen Kane and The Godfather. I mean, like, those are huge. Those are groundbreaking movies. Um, so that that really must mean something. And do I think it should be that high? Maybe not, but I do think it's it makes sense being on that list and, and in the top, in the top 20 somewhere. Um, but original, I would agree. Original is not the right word because this is, if nothing else, in a way, this is a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. These are all songs that were taken from, from the MGM archives pretty much. I agree. I know. I want, I'm oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. No, <laughs> Too polite. No, you gotta be on this show. You gotta be at each other's throats. Okay. Uh, I'm just saying, fighting, I know you're gonna, dumb, I know fighting you're gonna to, say something later that's just gonna make me jump down your throat. <laughs> I, I'm I'm eagerly anticipating it. Um, I think, and I I want to be clear. I have no problem with the jukebox musical aspect. Of course, I mean, I I talked about Across the Universe, which is is very similar. And then, of course, there's a even more famous one, Moulin Rouge, does the same thing. So it's not like taking these these found songs and attempting to weave a narrative in them is, is my problem. It was, I think, the use of the word original specifically, which kind of, like, rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I think um, using the word original isn't right. But they, I don't know what acting teacher told us this. It might have been rich. But, and you can actually say it in the way that it is. Sure. Um, that there's no, there's nothing, like, original, like, you st- what is it? You, oh, um, hacks borrow, geniuses steal. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And this movie is, I think, the best of everything. The The dancing's not original. We've seen it before. And and the plot line, in a way, it's like, I'm, sh- you know, that's, that's probably been out there. But the, they mastered everything about this movie, which I think stands the test of time. And what makes it the number five in my in my opinion i think it that that's a, i think that's that's uh, interesting that I'm, I'm thinking about i'm sure gene kelly would have preferred to have had this come out before an american in paris don't you reckon i that's that's tough i mean i i definitely am not going to sit here and say that i'm a i'm a big gene kelly aficionado um because i'm because i'm not i definitely have seen clips of him doing like tapping and i know that he's he's great at it and it's it is funny to see something like this and compare it to like fred astaire who is they're just their their styles are so totally different um or even just i mean even comparatively just watching like in in moses supposes for instance right to watch gene kelly and donald Mm o'connor do the same steps but they've just got totally different ways their their approach to tap is so different that it's it's great to see them like their timing is both there, but the way that their their upper bodies are, the way that they're kind of play acting within the tap, it's 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 interesting. Um, I don't, that's man, that's tough. I I don't know enough of what Gene Kelly did after this to know like what his like. I think I think I would like if I'm Gene Kelly, I would want maybe my best work to be towards the latter end of my career. And I think, I, I mean, you you can't lose going American in Paris. And then singing in the rain back to back. I mean, that's that's pretty fucking incredible. <laughs> it just seems like this one may have been the more deserving of the two, and following in the wake of of an American in Paris kind of did it a disservice, at least around awards time, anyway. 
Well, and we we've talked about before on our um, Apocalypse Now episode, and maybe actually a little bit on Deer Hunter too, about when a really good movie that's kind of that's kind of in in a certain genre comes out and wins one year, a la American in Paris or The Deer Hunter, the next year. If something even better comes out, a la Apocalypse Now or uh, Singing in the Rain, it doesn't stand as good a chance to win. And I, and not only not win, but Singing in the Rain wasn't even nominated for Best Picture that uh, in, when it came out. So um, we might have just been Gene Kelly'd out a little bit in terms of of the Oscars. But I mean, in American in Paris is nowhere to be found on the top on the AFI Top 100, and that doesn't make it a bad film. But in terms of the zeitgeist and what has gone on to to be in our memories. I mean, when I think about what's the first Gene Kelly movie we're going to show Stella, it's it's mm-hmm. going to be Singing in the Rain. I mean, there's no <laughs> there's no question about that. Yeah, I don't know why it didn't occur to me when I was when we were doing the Quiet Man episode because obviously this is this is a pain, the painful year that John Ford won Best Director for that steaming pile of garbage. But it, I just had it was this is one of those movies I always just assumed was nominated for Best Picture. Even if it if it didn't win, you know what I mean. I just that was the most surprising thing to me in my research is like, oh wait, this really this wasn't. Well, and especially when you look at all the, um, I mean, the precursor awards, you know, the National Board of Review things and the DGA nomination, and the the success of the Globes. It it is a bit like wow, what 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 happened? And and you know, it's funny. You know, I don't want to preface next week's episode, but the movie that we're going to talk about next week is also one of those like look look at a movie that won so many awards leading up to the Oscars and then oh wow you you didn't nominate this for best director or for best picture that's that's kind of fucking crazy um and well the Oscars is crazy yeah that's well, that, that's <laughs> true that's that's definitely true <laughs> um uh so can we do you, i i kind of want to do uh, a little left turn and just talk about uh some of the things that We've talked about this a bunch on movies before. The the behind the scenes things that maybe add to the the wow, I can't believe this was in the movie considering all of these all of these other things and just like you know the fact that Debbie Reynolds was not a dancer, um, and the fact that like Gene Kelly famously had that very very high fever when they shot Singing in the Rain. I just kind of want to get that all out the all out of the way now. Not we can totally talk about it, but like I. Knowing that doesn't make the movie any better or worse for me. Like, I mean, it, it certainly makes me go, those are dedicated actors for sure. But like, I don't, I don't know. I don't need to know that if that makes any sense. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's all still fascinating anyway. I mean, yeah. I don't, yes. I don't know. Melissa, yes. do you have a favorite piece of behind the scenes trivia? Um, God, I mean, I think when Adam told me that, um, singing in the rain that scene he had a fever I that that is my favorite scene I'm totally jumping I'm so sorry no that's fine that is my favorite scene hands down and I you know I don't know how many takes I'm sure he did a lot of takes of it but it's just flawless like the outcome what we ended up getting to see was just flawless and the energy and and the effort put into it when Adam told me that I was like oh my god and then it made me think like oh god think of like on my worst day when I've had a fever, like, <laughs> I can't even get out of bed and look what this guy did. Oh, I know. I'm Ugh. just a big baby when I get a fever. Yeah. 
Um, but the the one that the one that does my nut in when we we talk about behind the scenes trivia and and we've already you know sort of spoiled the game by saying that we think uh, Donald O'Connor is the best thing in it. The fact that he was hospitalized after the make him laugh scene to me is just crazy. I mean, his fault. He smoked four packs of cigarettes a day, so what do you expect? But that's still crazy to me that he worked himself that hard. And I think they only did two takes of running up the wall, didn't they? Or they did, no, they did the whole thing twice, end to end. Yeah. That Which, doesn't shock me when you watch his um, performance of that. It doesn't shock me that he was put in the hospital after that. He gave it his all. Like, yeah. And, and that, that is my favorite bit, the running up the one wall, running up the other, and then going through the third one just that's, slayed me. And so that and I'm I'm glad you said that because that brings up two things I just wanted to, to quickly mention is one that the, it is true the comedies comes in threes and and that is very you have to do it twice you you establish the pattern and then you you break it and that's where the, the punchline is which of course is very funny the first time we saw that I was fucking in yeah. stitches because I thought it was I thought it was brilliant but it's the thing I wanted to mention and and I don't want to go off in too much of a tangent here but. I've been I've been lucky enough to do a lot of uh, physical comedy in my day. Um, I got to do Noises Off, which has a bit where I had to fall down the stairs. Um, I got to do uh, I was in a production of Two Two Gentlemen of Verona, where I did a slow motion fight at the end of the play, which I thought was I thought was pretty fun. Um, and I I feel like because I also teach movement theater, I have a, I feel like I have a knack for movement on stage. But watching Donald O'Connor do his thing is it's awe-inspiring and it's like kind of motivating too. It's like, God damn, that's just fucking amazing. Not and not only that, but also all the early stuff in the movie that Gene Kelly does. Like, he fucking he also is a stunt man in this movie. It's kind of it's crazy the shit that he does. It it when he jumps on the 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 bus and then into the car, I kind of felt like I was watching Jackie Chan <laughs> for a second. I oh. thought it was just <laughs> Well, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the illusion. But as a stuntman, he did still have another stuntman who is actually my my runner-up for uh, <laughs> for unsung hero. He's got his name. It's uh, Russell. Uh, sorry, Russell Saunders, and that was him that does the the jump into the jalopy rather than Gene Kelly. So I was like, you cheating bastard, you, because that looks like something well, he should have been able to do. You know, and I it. It probably was, but you know, he's also, you know, as somebody who's also choreographing and also co-directing the movie, I'm, I'm, you know, there are some response. I'm sure the, if, I'm sure MGM was like, I don't fucking think so. Broke an ankle or sprained a, a ligament. Yeah, that would be bad news. <laughs> yeah, well, he's also he's also directing, so I mean, he's got yeah. to wear yeah. two hats. So. Yeah, and choreographs with three hats, I guess. But I'm um, gonna, to, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, I apologize in advance. I'm gonna take a lot of shots at Gene Kelly during this. Because my well, first note, the okay. second the movie starts and we have the, the opening, the montage of him looking very directly into the fourth wall breaks in this film are maddening. <laughs> um, it just that smug, stupid look on his face as he's smiling into camera saying, always dignity, always, which is a great sight gag because it's not a very dignified job that he's doing. But my first note, and you'll have to bleep me, I won't say, no, I don't want to say it, but my first note is, God, Gene Kelly is a smug blank was it the see you next tuesday word yeah it was I it definitely was <laughs> there's just a, a narcissism that runs through this film which is just frightful 
Yes, I totally see that. And I don't know Gene Kelly. <laughs> but I feel like he is allowed to do that with everything he's accomplished thus well, far. I feel like that that is kind of... Well, and I just see it as... I just saw it as the character. Like, and I get, I get the, I do, what I love about the opening is all the juxtaposition. And you mentioned some of it, the, the dignity, always dignity. And there's, there's a slew of, of, you know, when he says, oh, I, I saw the best theater, Shaw and Moliere, and he's going to the movie theater. Or when he talks about the society friends and they're at the pool hall. Like, I, I like all of that. I get that he's saying one thing and we're seeing something different. And, and the, the, the comedy of juxtaposition is great in that moment. The fourth wall break. So, so I just want to respond to both of those things really quick. So the fourth wall breaks don't make any sense. I, I, I rarely get a fourth wall break in anything unless it's, it's very clear that we're like being let in on something with a fourth wall break. Um, but the smugness, I just get that from being like, he's the biggest star of the day. Like I, I think he's selling an image and I, I buy it because of that. I buy it because of the, the character more than I do of Gene Kelly. I think it was both. Honestly, I think it was a little of both. He plays it so well. It has to be kind of, well, that's there, there is a flip side to me saying that the really the two sides is the one of them being that, yeah, okay. It is, it is the character. And I get that, but when I read about him being such a tyrant on set, and he poor he made poor nineteen year old Debbie Reynolds cry, and Fred Astaire had to come rescue her. You know, he was he sounded like he was a bit of a taskmaster, and he would take it out, especially on Donald O'Connor, even if he was angry at Debbie, because he knew that you know O'Connor could take it, and if he took it out on on Debbie Reynolds, they'd have to shut production down. The <laughs> So I, I and I I put a little bit of that taskmaster into his character in the movie, which is probably not fair. I should probably separate that, which is brings me to my second point. I don't know why I took such an issue with it because I am admittedly a fan of of Tom Cruise and what he's done with the Mission Impossible movies. And I'm like, well, he's he's a version of that. So why do I take issue with one and not the other? And now, are, now is this is this more of an of an actor on the set who's who's got some some sway is that is that kind of what you're talking about well yeah yeah exactly well and there's a there's a sort of egotisticalness about it like you you have to be something of an egomaniac to to be that big do you know what i mean and that good at what you do and just the i don't know those that that toothy grin that he has i think i don't know i was just being i was being deliberately combative towards gene kelly his smugness just got under my skin immediately and that's funny i i don't know i guess you know b both times i've watched it i just i think i immediately knew you know all the red carpet stuff and and just the anticipation of seeing lena lamont and don lockwood i think i just i don't know and it, maybe i don't have that that i don't i didn't do enough research on gene kelly as an individual to have any kind of mindset on on him i just saw don lockwood you know, selling that Don Lockwood mm -hmm. smile, and you know, and trying to basically sell the next movie. Um, but you but know, how did that's... you how did you feel about it when he got to shitting on stage actors? Oh, now now that I thought was I, I, thank you for bringing that up because I I wrote that in my notes at one point. This whole idea of, of stage acting versus screen acting, and how different I'm in your was... I'm in your corner on this one, man. I I got angry for you. Well, it's 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 funny. You know, and I, I certainly don't, I, I do, I, I mean, I realized that when the jazz singer came out and, and movies switched from silent film to talkies, that a lot of, a lot of actors lost work because they couldn't make that transition. And while I'm not, 
going to sit here in the future and be like, well, fuck them. They should have known better. But fuck them. They should have known better a little bit. Um, I mean, what do you – do you not have stage training? Like, And in a way, it, it, it does sort of bring in, in line of what I feel like today when I watch any kind of show or film with, with really young actors and their work is only on screen. You can kind of tell – that and I always appreciate knowing when an actor has had theatrical training or, or has done stuff on stage because it just there's a, a level of exactitude and precision and dedication that comes from doing a show. The rehearsal process is much longer, and then you have to bring that you have to bring that same level of intensity and dedication every night to a show versus a couple of takes a day and then and then you, your, your performance can be edited together. And that's not to say anything about screen actors in general, but that's true across the board. You know, you can have a, a decent performance in a film overall and be edited together to, to, to look fucking magnificent. But when you're on stage, you have what you have that day. Um, so in, in theory, in terms of Lockwood making fun of Kathy Selden for wanting to have a stage career, I would tell him to go fuck himself. Um, and he couldn't quite make that transition to the talkies without, without converting the dancing or sorry, the dueling cavalier into the dancing cavalier. And the only way he saves his own ass is to make it a musical. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I would say that um, you have to know how to talk to, to be in films or on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's something i feel like we do need to address uh you you brought up the the transition from from silent to talkies and i it baffles my mind how they were able to sort of thread these songs together the way that they did because nothing any of them sing about have anything to do with the the story that at least the the this I think really fascinating, very important period of history in the industry. You know, that's, it's true. I mean, I mean, you could say, you could say Moses supposes is the closest because it is about learning to speak. Yeah. <laughs> in, but, but it's the, the only films. one. <laughs> but I do, you know, it's, I think it's definitely, I think the song choices are more just evocative of, of the feelings. Like, and that's, I mean, you know, all I do is dream of you is definitely, um, you know, the way that they feel about each other. And, you know, good morning isn't exactly about having a good morning, but it's more about, Oh, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. You know, we thought we were going to be shit canned because of this, of the dueling cavalier, but look, we got a great idea and, and the grass is going to be greener and it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. But yeah, it's, it's true. The, um, the songs aren't necessarily meant to further the plot. It's not a musical in that way. Melissa, do you have any, any thoughts about that? <laughs> I'm just, uh, gosh, I mean, you guys are getting like so into it. <laughs> I'm like, it's not that I'm not trying to follow along. I also see this as, um, you know, I'm not like a classically trained dancer or anything, but I did dance a lot of my life. And to, um, express like your feelings or further plot through dance I think that that this did do that 
And when you were talking about, um, you know, Gene Kelly being hard on Debbie Reynolds, first of all, the fact that she was not a dancer and the outcome, like what she did throughout that movie, if you're looking at it, you could tell she, especially in the dance sequence with the other girls, she's a little off on a few of them or something. Like if you're really studying and watching, but overall she kept up with the, the best of the best and I would I don't wouldn't want to say kept up with she like did it with them perfectly in my eyes anyways I'm like side jumping around here but I don't know I just kind of the dancing for me played a big role in this and I think um their love story and how that kind of gets progressed is done through dance um, the good morning. I think that's those three coming together and like solidifying a we. This is what we're gonna do and like change and kind of uh, we have to trust each other. You see that all through dance. So in my eyes, dance is what made this movie, you know, amazing to me, but also made me understand like how these three are gonna get from point A to you know Z or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's no, that's well, and that's a major <laughs> blind spot for me is is the dancing. Like I don't, I have no gauge of what is is good dancing and what's not. I mean, I did the, uh, I went to the 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 ballet, the Nutcracker thing, and it was all kind of. I like I can appreciate the art form, but it just a lot of it is lost on me. Like I can, I know how much work that must be to do, or I guess I should say, I have I have actually no idea how much hard yeah. work it is, but I assume it's a lot, and. Uh, I don't know. So that's that's something where I, I feel like I need a little bit more education. I'm a little bit willfully ignorant about dance and how to tell a story through it. Though I will say that Good Morning is, I, I'm torn. But if Moses Supposes wasn't so perfect, I think Good Morning would be the clear winner for the best dance number in the movie. Well, and it's in and well, and I would I would actually we didn't talk too much about the sequence after we watched the movie, but the whole where where um, Don Lockwood is trying to sort of sell the plot the new plot of the movie to RF and we get the whole modern dance sequence um like that that of course that whole bit i mean there's some there's some lyrics in there but that thing is basically told through dance and um and the different styles that we get uh you know we get uh, we get some tap we get some like I don't want to know if it's I don't know if it's the mambo, but we get some really we get some very close quartered Latin feeling dance. But then like I I got I'm not even gonna lie the stuff, the ballet, um, modern dance stuff where she's got the really long white sheet and the fans are going and they've got all that space like that was that was gorgeous like that was shot really well Beautiful. and I, <laughs> I I just I just really like that and that, and then that dancer legs yeah. Yeah. Whoa. That's all I have to say. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm kind of glad I watched there's a there was another well, it was a bit longer documentary and I didn't finish it, but there is one called uh, Raining on a New Generation, which is about uh the cast and the choreographers of stuff like High School Musical and and Glee who were all very influenced by this and them talking about their appreciation and their sort of history and their nostalgia around it. So that was that was definitely something I didn't I didn't finish the whole thing because I felt like they were kind of belaboring the point a little bit, just kind of like this movie does, especially in that longer dance number. It does feel like I, I did find myself checking my watch going. I think I think you guys made your point. Gene Kelly is the greatest dancer in the world. I think we can advance the plot a little bit more now. But 
that shot aside, um, yeah, that if you guys have the opportunity to check out that documentary, that really helped me uh, sort of try to deal with my willful ignorance of dancing and sort of appreciate it a little bit more. Well, to, to be fair, we have theatrical backgrounds and, and we know the hard work, so I, I don't think we have to watch that documentary. <laughs> uh, there's some interesting opinions in there, I think. <laughs> No, there's no, there's so there's there's one that I and is the reason why I watched across the universe is they have the two screenwriters of it on there talking about uh, about the movie and especially their uh, how the plot doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and uh, they came up with a really dark sequel uh, where they talked about they felt really bad for Lena at the end of the movie because she gets so done over you know by her own sort of hubris and and by them sort of conspiring against her as well that she. Uh, goes home and and does what I think you would do in that era and take a load of barbiturates and then that would be the opening of their sequel. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I, I didn't know, I didn't know if I would bring it up necessarily because I I don't, I don't bring up every note I take when I'm, when I'm watching a movie, but the, what happens to Lena is it's really interesting because like, in one way, it's like, well, fuck her. Yeah, she's she's blatantly trying to ruin this Kathy's career, and she's being kind of a bitch about the whole thing. But then, like, I don't know. If, I I think I'm okay with the plot of sort of her comeuppance, but like the, <laughs> the everybody laughing at her, like the ha 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 and pointing fingers. It's like, okay, okay, yes, we needed to expose her for what she was, which is a, a fraud. But like, I don't do we let's okay we get it she, she fucked up she can go now but like i think i think just like laughing at her was was a step too far it, was it feels far. it feels unnecessary but okay she blatantly does not turn her listening ears on and when <laughs> when gene kelly is like no we are not an item and she's like yes we are like Somebody who's that delusional, it's kind of like, okay, (laughs) something's going to bite you in the ass sooner or later. So, like, when the pointing, and now I'm going to sound really mean, when the pointing (laughs) of the fingers (laughs) happened, I was kind of like, I bet you would have, like, she probably would have been happier if she just would have listened to him the first time. Like, she kind of had it coming. That's a fair point. So, I don't know. I sound really mean now. No, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm glad you, you talked about dialogue because that is the... I think when people talk about this movie, they don't talk about the dialogue enough. It is really good. And I think oh. uh, I think another reason Donald O'Connor is my unsung hero is he gets all the best dialogue yes. and he delivers it so well. Mm-hmm. What did I say? He has the best, yeah, he has the best eye line. acting. Oh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't even have to say words and sh- and move anything below his eyes. Like, there was moments where he was moving his eyes and his nose and his mouth were not moving and I could tell every emotion he was telling like it was phenomenal and I don't think I've seen anybody perform like that before I, okay well not before I, I don't but or do, since I don't know well do you know actually what it made me think of a little bit was um was, a, was I I I, th- I get a little bit of John Krasinski in the office the way he kind of just gives looks oh. to the cameras to kind of help like indicate like like are you hearing this or like to help add to the humor of it it's it's and it's different mediums for sure They're but i get a lot degrees, of yes yeah. but but the way in which it kind of helps add it adds comedy to something that's already funny and like i'm sure the the dialogue 
would be just as would just would work just as well. But to have Donald O'Connor making those those faces as it's as it's going about does does yeah. help for sure. Um, it, I, sorry. No, I was just going to add to the dialogue thing really quick. I do. I, it's like it's like some of the dumb dad humor that I really like. <laughs> like early on when Gene Kelly says, "Will you call me a cab?" Okay, you're a cab. I'm like. It's so it's so stupid, but that's also what makes it funny. You laughed a lot I did. out of those little lines. I did. Um, no, I just my uh, watching older movies like this and this movie in particular, watching it just made me have the appreciation. F- oh God, this is going to sound awful either way. The appreciation for actors back then. was just like, wow, they had to be talented in so many different ways. And I feel like nowadays <laughs> it could be like they don't need that. They they could just be good at this one thing. But back then it was like you had to be the triple threat. You had to be a singer, a dancer, and this. And to, and, and to see the performance that they pulled off and then it made me think of like, you know, just movies now. I don't know. I just have like the appreciation for the the actors back then. Not well, that I don't have appreciation now, but no, that's a, that's it's a, a different scale, I feel like, of, of what you could get. That's a great no, that's that's totally true. I mean you can I mean, there are it's like the fact that I'm gonna the fact that this is gonna be a phrase that I say makes me wanna punch myself. But <laughs> th- there are there are things there are TikTok stars. Like that's a that's a fucking thing. And the fact that you could be somebody with a with a phone doing nine second videos and now all of a sudden you're you're as famous as the the you know somebody working in hollywood it's 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 crazy and i think because you can consume media in so many different ways now whether whereas before you either you either had a tv and had one of a few channels or you went to the cinema or or you went to the theater and it you know and now you could be you could do any number of things to, mm-hmm. to, to get out there. And I think it's this idea and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go teacher here for a second, but it's this idea of, of, of breadth versus depth. And back then there were three basic mediums you could be good in and, and you had to dig deep and be really good at it. But now when there's so many things that you can use to, 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 I don't want to say be famous, but be an actor or, or be famous or whatever, be a star it's like you don't you can be moderately talented at something but if you nail the medium right you know whether it's TikTok or Instagram or YouTube or whatever the fuck it is you can you can find your niche and and all of a sudden you know be be a decent at something but you found the right market and boom now you're now you're everything mm-hmm. I think uh, long gone are the days of people like Buster Keaton and and Laurel and Hardy that did have the spectrum of, of performance and what it meant to, to perform in different mediums and things like that. It's a uh, loop it back around to Donald O'Connor. He did actually play Buster Keaton in a TV movie, which I tried desperately to track down and couldn't find either. Cause now I just want more of Donald O'Connor. I got to see more of this guy and why he isn't, you know, more in our, our lexicon when we talk about classic films. Yeah. I, this, I, I mean, I think it's so cool that he won a globe for this for, for leading actor. I think that's fantastic. But, and I think it's, I think it's cool that Jean Hagen was nominated as Lena Lamont. I do think that her, like, I can't stand him. I think that she's, I think that she's great in her role. I think she fits that character really well, mm-hmm. but man, there are, 
there are performances that deserve recognition and and one of those is fucking Donald O'Connor and and like I I am a bit surprised there wasn't a, a supporting actor nomination coming his way. I that's that's kind of fucking baffling. I don't Yeah, no, well, how I much? feel like I feel like the casting was perfect. Now, I don't know Debbie Reynolds' career that well, but was this one of the first things she was kind of or big things she was she, she was a contract player at MGM. I think she had a contract from the age of 16 or something okay. like that. Um, yeah, something like that. Fairly young. And uh, I, I, the documentary said it. She was, in, she was in a movie. She was in a musical um, that caught the attention of Arthur Freed and some of the producers of the film. Um, this was easily her, like, Breakout. Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but she had done, like, three or four things at MGM before. I just think the casting was phenomenal. And then you have Debbie Reynolds, who's younger and apparently not, um, you know, known for her dance. It just kind of made me go like, wow, how did other actresses at that time who mastered tap or knew not get picked for this role? And there's just something about like, um, gosh, I would say the four of them and that uh, the late, what's her name? Lena, Lena. Jean Hagen. She, I think, was great. Like, I put her in with that lump. I think they all deserve some sort of acting nomination. And if either of them won it, I would have been happy because I think they all did such a great job with their roles. Oh, yeah. But. Well, and you know what's funny about, you know, like, because it is, it's pretty famous that Demi Reynolds didn't really have a dance background and, like, pushed herself to the fucking nth degree to nail all the tapping. And, like, that's really awesome. But then I, this is totally a weird tangent. So hang in with me. But it reminds me a little bit of like George Clooney in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, who who tried for a while to to actually sing the songs in the movie. And then the Coen brothers said, no, and we're going to go with a, a real bluegrass singer. But like it just I don't know whether it's it's when when the movies are being made and how different the technology is or if it just has anything to do about where George Clooney was in his career versus Debbie Reynolds. But the fact that they were just able to work around the fact that George Clooney didn't have the right voice to sing it versus like if Debbie Reynolds couldn't have done the dance, they just would have been like, fuck you. Yeah. They just would have put somebody else in the role. And like, again, another, like that's like the dedication that she had to have to not just get the role, but then keep the role. Because again, she easily could have been just like scrapped and we'll get the next, we'll just Rita Moreno. You're up next. You know, she was already in the film. You just fucking, you just become the next role. Yeah. Props. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm glad we've all got some love for Debbie Reynolds because she is a a real shining star in this movie. Oh, for sure. She's so good at holding her own with the lads, which I can't imagine how intimidating that must've been. Now, speaking of, of, I want to go, there were there were two moments in this movie where I did one of these oh boy. Um, so you mentioned Blink and you might. So I'm wondering what what one were you referencing? Well, I think it's a really well shot part of the film. It's three weeks after he's first met Kathy, and you know he's talking about looking for her and and both uh, Donald O'Connell and and um, Gene Kelly. They're walking through the studio, and you see all the different films that are being shot simultaneously. And there is blackface going on in the background, so that's that's not aged really well. Yes, yes. The 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 white folk as like a, like African jungle dwellers or whatever. Yeah, that not good. Um, there's another one though. 
um, and you probably caught it, but maybe it just you just didn't write it down. There's a mo. It's it's right after Gene Kelly has jumped into the car, and he he's talking to her, and he says, "Oh no no, don't worry, I'm not going to molest you." <laughs> what? Adam and I definitely well, both looked at each other and went, "Whoa, we didn't remember that the first time we watched it." That's like, one of those one of those details you don't pick up as a kid, kind of like that that scene in Forrest Gump when they're in the dorm room together. Like as a kid, you know something weird has happened, but you don't quite know what. And then you see it as an adult and go, "Oh, oh, that's embarrassing." Yeah. See, I, I, of, of all the Forrest Gump references, I thought you were going to be the one where he goes, "He, he." <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty fucking bad too. That is bad. Um, but like, I, I get what he was trying to like, I guess I just wonder why he couldn't have said something like, Oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to make a pass at you or I'm not going to touch you. But he had to say, I'm not going to molest you. Like, no, no, I might touch you. I might even lean in for a kiss, but don't worry. I'm not going to molest you. Like that's like an oddly specific thing to tell her. He just wanted to be very specific about it. (laughs) You got to be careful. Don't mince your words there, man. I just That's well true. doesn't he lean in doesn't he put the moves on her anyway and he's like oh, don't yeah. worry I can't hurt you I'm only shadows on a screen or something like that yeah he does he definitely is is like inches away from centimeters away from her when when she's driving the car yeah. um so you, your favorite I don't know if it's favorite if we should talk about favorite shot or favorite or just favorite like dance sequence or whatever but yours is singing in the rain you know it was like a really close I was going back and forth with um make them laugh and singing in the rain. I just it ha- like for me it's singing in the rain just is like, I don't know. Yeah. My- more of a, a sentimental or like it just was more impactful when I first saw that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. M- mine is definitely make them laugh. Hands, hands down. My favorite part of the movie. Well, that's yeah. I think that's my favorite dance number and, and, and musical number, but I, there is a shot that just, I absolutely love. And it's her, on the uh, on the ladder, uh, when they're when they're doing the song in the in that empty studio, there's just the the way they frame that and lit that is just magnificent. When I love the theatricality coming into it, I love the way that he has to put her on the ladder and get the lights just right and turn the wind machine on. And I, it's a romantic song anyway. It's a romantic moment. You totally get their feelings for each other. But like. The idea that in a way he's like directing the scene. He wants it like, you know, having to actually go into an empty suit studio space and like create the perfect tableau for this moment. That was such like any theater person <laughs> is sitting there going, oh, my God, I want this to be like date night. Like I want this to be like I know I was sitting there thinking, OK, where's my ladder and where's my spotlight, Adam St. John? Why haven't you done this for me? It was a very like romantic, sweet um like he's getting the perfect moment ready, like set up. Like he's setting up the perfect moment to tell her how much he likes, loves her. It was just, yeah. It Beautiful. is. It is a really magical moment, yeah. which I, which is why I, I understand the the sentimentality behind it and why it's so easy to get swept swept away on it. Another person that I don't feel like gets mentioned enough when this film is talked about is Arthur Freed. I mean, he is the godfather of the MGM musical. He is the guy you know, the driving force behind The Wizard of Oz. And if you look was, at his filmography after this, I feel like he had been like, nope, I did it, because there's not a whole lot after this. And he went on to produce the Academy Award ceremonies instead through the 60s. 
Yeah, he. Yeah, I mean, from from what I could tell, you know, because Louis, I think Louis Mayer was actually getting pushed out of MGM at the time, and I I do think it was like a, it was a turning of the guard. So I'm not surprised that Arthur Free didn't get to do a whole lot a- after that point. But I but I also agree that I feel like I mean his career at that point spoke for itself, you know. So you can you can back off and be like, yeah, I I did a whole bunch of shit that you're all gonna remember for the rest of your lives. So. Yeah, it's like Kubrick for me. Like, I don't know, like, why did you even try again? I mean, I'm glad that he did, but why did you even try again after Barry Lyndon? Like, dude, you you nailed it. You perfected the genre and you per, you perfected cinema. Like, where do you go from here? You well, you make you make some creepy films. That's what I'll say. You make some creepy ass films after that. Um, yeah, like Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah, well, and and Shining, but yeah, God, Eyes Wide Shut is just a wow. That's a that's a movie. Um, the, you know, I I only had two more things that I that I specifically wanted to mention, but before um, you know, before we wrap up or whatever. So the one thing is is there's there's one nitpick that I I I really have to just bring up, and there there are this isn't what it is, but I hate in movies where you could tell somebody's drinking a coffee cup. And there's not fucking anything in there. It's just empty. I also hate in movies where, and or like in Singing in the Rain, right before they sing Good Morning, where they're they're all like talking about woe is me, everything's fucked, and they all have like a they're having like a midnight snack, except for nobody's eaten or drank anything that they had. Fucking Gene Kelly's glass of milk is as full as it could fucking be. And then they carry it all and they, the they sandwiches get, back to the kitchen. I'm like, huh, I'm pretty sure somebody would have appreciated that meal, but fine, no oh, fuck it, we're just gonna throw it away. Um. But now that that's out of the way, uh, <laughs> you know, as as you know, as people who who really enjoy musicals, you know, every musical has a song that's a bit too long, or you're like, eh, you know, like like uh, last night with Stella, we watched um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and for me, it's Cheer Up Charlie. Like we like just fast forward through this, we get it. Charlie's sad, you're sad, life's tough, but we want to get to the fucking Chocolate Factory, so let's speed this shit up. Um, you mean now, like in West Side think... Story when he says something's coming? <laughs> oh, oh my God! I was literally just thinking we have had such a, r- a nice podcast. <laughs> my heart is beating, like my heart's always yeah. beating, but now it's beating like really, really fast. Now, you know, I know something's coming. That's why I'm watching the movie, mate. <laughs> I'm gonna murder you. I, I know. Liz, it's leave a... the door unlocked and just tell me what side of the bed you sleep on, Liz, and oh. I'll make sure. <laughs> oh, wow. You're okay. Oh, wow. You're going to come over here a, and that... you're going to watch the movie with me because I guarantee okay. you, you will like. I would, I, I would actually love to see it again. I would love to see if, you know, a year and a half or however long it's been has, has softened me. Plus, I get up and dance while watching it. So it's... <laughs> fantastic get it in 3d i i was gonna ask you what movie do you like better do you like this or west side story but now i'm like really scared to hear the answer because oh. it's west oh no side it's story. it's this it's this i know this isn't the last time that i'll see singing in the rain because i know that there is more that i could do to you know bring up my level of appreciation for it even oh, though the story oh. makes no fucking sense no I, and I, west side story at least made sense well, it, I like it, both it does. Of them, I'm just gonna say it but. does have one over on singing in the rain. <sighs> all, all I wanted to say 
is as 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 a as somebody who who is fond of musicals that uh it's it's rare to have such a like a back to back like a such a one two punch as good morning into singing in the rain i mean when i think of a lot of the musicals that i really really like you know I mean, you might have like a great song that goes to it, you know, a good song. And then you might have the song that's like way too slow or you're like, well, what, this is kind of coming out of nowhere. But like to have two iconic, wonderful songs like Good Morning lead into Singing in the Rain. It's just like, I mean, not every musical gets that, you know, some musicals just have the one song that you you know from it. And that's that's it. That's all you get. But the fact that you have and, and granted, make them laugh is in this, too. But the fact that those songs are within like the one ends, there's like like two minutes of, of scene after that. And then we go right into singing in the rain. It's just, I think that's part of it too. Is just the, the, the music and dance that is included in this movie is just really fucking good. I now, mean, are you saying there is a slow song? Like, is there a song that you were like, Ugh, not or not? I, so it, it, in terms of, of, cause Ian mentioned earlier that there's not, the songs don't really forward the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's the uh, beautiful girls. Hey, but beautiful girls. I'm like, cool. But like, this does nothing okay, for me. We don't need this. I get that. But beautiful girls. You see like a style and you see a spectacle put on. Like now, the show. You love the costumes. Oh my God. That is a. The yes, costume the designer. Costumes- Yes. were phenomenal. But I think that that also just kind of throws you into like that world and what was coming, what they were producing or trying to put out there. And that was a spectacle. That was a huge production for this, like what, two minutes, you know? I don't, but I, I would, but I would say we get all of that in the modern dance sequence. I just feel like we get a spectacle. We get, we get the big showy, huge numbers and we get like a bunch of different like themes and variations. We get all the the casino stuff and then the modern dance stuff when she's in the white, but like the beautiful girl section, like that character never even comes back. It's, it's totally irrelevant to the plot of the movie. I don't think it's as a performance. It's not bad. It just, it, it doesn't forward anything. I mean, I can't disagree with that, but I'm just saying. It's the first thing that I would lose, but I I am appreciative that uh, about the brevity of uh, Singing in the Rain. I mean, it's an hour and 45-ish. There yeah. are a couple of musicals, there are a couple of really big musicals that I've put off watching, like Sound of Music and Fiddler on the Roof. They're both oh. three hours long. And so, I do, I am, I am interested in them, but I promise you there is no reason either of those films need to be three hours. Even uh, even across the universe, which I love, is like fifteen minutes too long, which I now, find is the problem with most musicals. I have not seen Sound of Music, so I'm gonna. But I I have seen Fiddler, and but there's actually not as much music in Fiddler or songs in Fiddler on the Roof as as you would think. There's a great, I don't even know what the what it's called, but there's a great moment where. I think it's I think it's around the wedding and it's just that great music but the wedding's about to get raided by is it Nazis or where is this? It's it's around World War, isn't it? I think it is not. I just don't I don't know that anyways. Um but there's a great moment where it's just like the music is like really telling the story and there's a lot of dance going on but from what I remember it's not it's too heavy on on so, the movie I don't know. doesn't have The a, movie is long. I mean, but yes, it's I, long, but there's a lot of like 
it's not led by the dance singing part of it but there is a lot of music in it that drives it like the storytelling yeah. like what you just said but the again, sound of I, music is great it's not one of my favorites but i think it's good but that'll be that'll be i that because that's one that i've i i know the songs i know what it's about but i've never like seeing in the rain before i saw it i i know enough about it to know what it's about but i've never sat down to watch it now like <laughs> so um, oh my dad used to like have have me watch all these musicals like that's what I watched with him but um sound of music always stopped right before and I haven't seen it in a long time but like my dad would stop the movie because it was long you know but he always had a spot where he stopped it where I thought it ended for the longest time I thought that's where it ended so it, it wasn't until like I was in middle school or high school when they're actually trying to escape and like run. And the family is now like <laughs> a fugitive isn't the right word, but the family is now running. When I first saw that, I was like, did they make a second one? I was so confused because it always ended like, you know, it was just a happy, you know, she comes, she takes care of the kids. They fall in love, they get married. <laughs> and then the movie ends. And like, anyways, when you guys see, actually watch the movie, you'll know what part I'm saying. <laughs> and you're going to be shocked that that's where my dad always just stopped it. Yeah. I don't know. Like I well, asked him years later nice why. One. And he was just like, it was a long movie and I didn't want to watch it all night. Like that was his response. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that's great because I was assuming, oh, let's not, let's not, you know, ruin this experience with maybe a, uh, a harder ending let's let's make sure melissa has the happy ending on this film she just she's always going to know it like this and it always wraps up nicely and has a happy yeah. ending i love it no I it was just that it was that too that. long yeah he was like it was just too long and we spent our time together and i just wanted to listen to my music <laughs> so uh ian any any uh last thoughts on singing in the rain no i think i'm i think i'm ready for the uh the big question though i do have a few caveats with my answer, if you'll permit me. Sure. Uh, Melissa, any, any last thoughts? No. Okay. So let's maybe well, I'm going to, I'm going to go in a certain order. Melissa, do you think that singing in the rain should be in the book? Yes. Okay. Adam, do you think singing in the rain should be in the book? Yes, I do. Ian, do you think that singing in the rain should be in the book? Yes, I do. Okay. But there are some caveats, as okay. I said. Some stipulations. I, there are some stipulations. I, uh, well, not not stipulations so much as recommendations, because this film made me hungry for other things. It just it wasn't very it wasn't very filling. Do you know what I mean? So it made me want a better film about behind the scenes Hollywood, and I instantly thought of Oh, Hail Caesar, and then it made me want a film which does the whole silent to sound thing better, which I think the artist is already in the book, but. The artist I, I fell head over heels in love with because of, of that sort of great performance by, uh, I can never remember his name, Jean oh, uh, oh, Dujardin. Jean, Jean Dujardin, yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm just fascinated with that period of history anyway. And then it also got me thinking, well, I want a movie that, that does the job of weaving the music through a narrative better. And I thought of stuff like Moulin Rouge and, uh, and, uh, and Across the Universe. And it's, just, it's a film that made me want other things that had been done better. And then I thought, well, the, I, what's the modern equivalent then of Singing in the Rain if I don't want to commit to this older film? And I thought instantly of La La Land. I think La La Land is our generation's Singing in the Rain. Well, so I can say <laughs> maybe a controversial opinion, but I just wanted to, to float it past two 
fans of, of, you know, musical theater and such. You know, I, I can see, I can definitely see the similarities to La La Land. Uh, I think that the, the fact that it's about, you know, people in the industry kind of meeting through the industry and falling in love and having their own pursuits. Now, granted where the storylines go are totally different. Um, I know we had a, an initial strong reaction to La La Land. I think we softened up the second time we watched it. Yes. It's still not, I would say it's a, we like it. And I even struggle to say that we don't love La La Land. Um, I don't but see, I, and this is where I know that I'm not a fan of musicals because that film was so satisfying to me. I it's that movie is tough. I, I this is not. <laughs> I really I hate I hate watching movies where actors play struggling actors. Like I just don't buy Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone like struggling to get in like when they're already as as at their height, right? Like and I and I'm not that's nothing against Damien Chazelle, who I think is a great young talent, and I think I mean Whiplash is probably in my top five of this of this um century so far. I fucking love Whiplash to pieces. Um but I there I I almost wish he would have been bolder and, and cast up and comers or fucking unknowns because I would have, I would have loved to have seen like, Oh, I get it. Like we're seeing people who we don't really know do these roles, but, and that's a really, that's a nitpicky thing. And I actually think that, that Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are, are fine in the movie, but I, that one doesn't work for me as it's much. It's also interesting. Cause like, I don't think of La La Land and then think of that being like, yes, it's a musical, but it's not I, like a dance heavy, you know, like, I don't know. I, and and then I think of movies like Singing in the Rain and movies like West Side Story where you have acting, you have singing, and you have like this intense – in Chicago, you have this intense dancing to go along with it. It just puts it at a level that you can't compare that with La, necessarily like La La Land well, and or – It's so funny because I don't even – honestly, I don't even consider La La Land a musical. Yeah. I consider it an homage uh, and because I, I look at it that way and I, and that's, then maybe that's a silly thing to say because there is clearly singing right. and dancing in La La Land. We have Land. people that are like probably listening that are like, these people don't know. Oh, I know we have musical theater friends who probably love La La Land, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's just, it doesn't, that, that movie doesn't work a hundred percent for me. Mm. <laughs> and the fact that La La Land is in the book and Whiplash isn't, is like a fucking travesty it's, it's it is a massive slap in the face I'm, I'm glad you came back to whiplash because i was going to say anyway i thought you were going to say one of the best films of the last decade and then you fucking doubled down like a champion instead of the century so far because that's oh, preaching fuck, the yeah. fucking truth yes yes <laughs> hands down um, go forth so, and, and so, preach the gospel on that one man yeah i know i know we're gonna god i can't believe we're not gonna be able to do an episode on whiplash it's just no we're gonna fucking do one anyway it's gonna it's gonna come in place of birth of a fucking nation or sallow take your pick fuck them both oh my god oh wait melissa have you seen sallow she has oh my god holy fuck i've no i uh i grieve with you did i finish it i don't think i did i finish it oh you finished it oh my god i've blacked if there's a movie i hate <laughs> it's that movie i can't even you i don't know how you like i don't even do that movie we're yeah not. no just we're not pick one that, we're not pick whiplash and do that yeah and, i'd rather do antichrist i've oh, seen that, that too that, you have seen that that's true yeah i've seen some 
I've made Melissa watch some movies that she the last one that I I don't think she hated, but she was definitely like Adam. You made me watch this. Was was it Brawl on Cell Block ninety nine? Yeah. Oh, I hot. fucking love that movie so I much. Do. I do too. The movie's epic, and I hate the you word know, epic. When he makes me watch movies, and then there's like scenes that I'm like cringing at because I don't know what the fuck is gonna happen. I look at him and get so pissed with tears in my eyes, and that's what <laughs> happened with that movie. I try to make him feel just a little bad because he's seeing my soul just like. But then break. I, but then I make you watch movies like Remember the Titans, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. he can still pick them. Yeah. So you got to challenge yourself sometimes. I highly recommend you both watch Climax, the Gaspar No film. I, I know, I know of it. I don't know, dude. I don't know if she'd be able to handle it. I no, you got this. Uh. Well, the, the Gaspar, night is young. Gaspar, knows? yeah, I know, right? I, I, uh, oh I recommend God. you you cap off your evening. We've talked about a great, beautiful piece of cinema about dancing. You should go now watch a contemporary film about dancing, which is Climax, and like, That's fuck fair. your brain. That is true. That's a great segue. <laughs> um, perfect. Well, so there you have it. Those are our thoughts on Singing in the Rain. But of course, as always, we want to know what you think. So please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know what you think of Singing in the Rain, of movie musicals in general. Are we fucking idiots and La La Land is a great movie musical or do you side with Ian? You know, and the, yeah, that is, and or whatever. Um, you could find us on Stitcher and Spotify and Google Play and Apple Podcasts. We launch off of Podomatic. You could support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. Melissa, thank you so much. Thank for you. being on the show. And Ian, thank you for having me, even though it was know, a pleasure. We, see, and we uh, see differently when it comes to some movies. I but I'm, I'm, I'm avidly following uh, Below Freezing. I think I'm all caught up now. And uh, I love the, I'm hoping the subplot of the uh, Swordfish poster comes back at some point. If listeners <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about, you need to get on this Swordfish train. It will. It definitely will. Um, and, and dear listeners, please stay tuned next week as we conclude the the the, the two-week spouse experiment um but begin spouse experiment i think that's the first time i don't know <laughs> whatever <laughs> but but as we end that we will be beginning our our dive into the works of christopher nolan uh I it's for one, gonna get contentious man very excited about it uh but until then i am adam and I am Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.